Today I want to talk about the priorities of Jesus. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter, or Matthew, that'd be a different book today. Uh, Mark chapter 2. And Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 13, we're going to go all the way to Mark chapter 3, verse 6. There's going to be four different stories that are going to be in here, and they're going to talk about what priorities Jesus has. And I'm going to give you a hint. The priorities of Jesus do not always line up with the priorities of us. They don't always line up with what we think we should do. And especially they don't line up with the priorities of what religious people think they should be. Because we think we can be a better Christian than Christ. There are people who believe that. I can be a better Christian than Jesus. No, you really can't. And nor should you try. You should be following Jesus. And so let's just think about priorities. Priorities are things that we put our effort into and we'll, 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 we'll argue for. We'll say that we'll do this over this. And a priority in our lives will take precedent over other things in our life. If our priority is our children, we will stop activities that harm our children or take away time from our children. There are many activities that I did before I had children that I don't do anymore. One of them was playing golf. I used to play golf with my, single, or with my friends all the time, and all of a sudden I had children, and I realized that it cost money, and it took three, well, for me it takes a long time because I'm not very good, and I see the entire course. And so I was out there, and I just thought to myself, I should be doing something with my family right now for the money I'm spending. It wasn't a bad activity. There was nothing wrong with it. And there were other things in my life that I stopped doing. You know, I, I used to play on two softball teams. Well, don't do that anymore. You, and there were certain things that I had to step away from and say, I have children now. These are my priorities. Or if you set a priority in your life of your job, it means that other things are going to take less precedent. It means you're not going to be able to do all these recreational activities that you want to do. And so what is your priority in your life is going to determine your time, it's going to determine your effort, it's going to determine your attitude. So what we need to do today, when it comes to church and it comes to our, our faith, we need to line up our priorities with the priorities of Jesus. So let's just talk about the first priority. And priority one for Jesus is sinful people. Let's see the first story in, sorry, in Mark 2.13. And he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming at him or to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's, a, here's an example of Jesus. Now, again, Mark is gonna, just going to give a series of short stories. And every story that he gives, he's trying to teach something. And what is he trying to teach here? He is trying to teach us that people, sinful people, are important to Jesus. People that don't fit in are important to Jesus. And we know people right now that just don't fit in. We know people 
that are the them. Okay? Whatever that them may be. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love everybody. Maybe not them. And that them may be, for everybody, may be different. Maybe you're a person who comes from great wealth. And you say, it's really tough for me to rally around people that are poor. Maybe you're a person that uh, grew up in Canada and it's just tough to be around Americans. I don't know. I mean, it could be anything. But, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's a struggle for us. People that have attitudes that are different than ours and they're so annoying about it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And they don't realize how right we are and how wrong they are and it just bothers us. Because, but, but they're so adamant about their attitudes. Okay? And... Then we find out maybe later that they were right. That's even more annoying. But here he is, and Jesus goes up to Levi, who is stationed at a tax booth. And he goes up to a guy who's at a tax, at a tax booth. He was sitting at, and what this is, is basically a guy that collects taxes alongside the road. Kind of like a toll booth, only with extortion added to it. Okay? If you were a tax collector at this time, now he's a Jew at this time, he's collecting taxes for the Roman government, and he can do whatever he wants. He can say, your tax is supposed to be this many denarius or whatever, and he can say, but I need a little extra something at home, you're going to tack on this. So the people that were tax collectors, not only were they considered bad because they represented the Roman government that was oppressing the people, they also had an added, or a reputation for being people that took advantage of their own people. They were kind of the sellouts. They were the people, uh, after World War II, um, when the Americans came in and uh, took over France again and freed France, they took the ladies that had been uh, dating the German soldiers, and what they did was they took them all out and they shaved their heads off. And they shaved their heads off and kicked them out of the communities. Because they said, you've turned your back and, and went with the oppressors. And I think of that story in my head, if you ever see the pictures of it, it's, it's kind of it's scary how, what they did. But I think of the pictures of what they would have thought of these people. It would have been the same thing. You're with them. You're helping those who are oppressing us. You're helping them. And what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. Come and follow me. No, 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 no. Not them. The Pharisees are like, no, 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 everybody but not them. No, no, they're, they're, not, they're not good. And then it gets, it gets worse for the Pharisees. It comes up that he says, follow me, and he rose and followed him, and as he reclined at a table at his house. Now, we're not sure who his house is here, but there's a very good chance that this was at Jesus' house. Not only did he talk to them, he had them over to his house. Ooh, don't do that. You'll get germs. Now I say that, but that actually was the attitude at the time. If you're around people that are sinful, you might get their germs. It might just jump on you. Okay, it just might attack you. And it says they're reclining at the table. Now at this time, if you ate with somebody, it meant that you treated them as an equal. You treated them as somebody as worthwhile. And what he's saying to you is somebody who's a tax collector, somebody who does not fit in the norm, is loved by God. Loved by God. And so, and then it says other people joined in. Other tax collectors and other sinners. So not only that, Levi said, hey, 
Everybody come on over. Let's go talk to this Jesus who talks to people at tax booths, which nobody would want to talk to, and other sinners come and talk to him. And Jesus says, that's fine. They can come over too. They can hear the good news because I want them to know what it is to be saved. You see, Jesus was able to draw people that were outside of the religious norm. And people outside the religious norm were able to understand Jesus. One of the most amazing things, I I remember when I was in seminary learning this from one of my teachers, that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And and that may mean not much to us today, but Jesus could have spoke Hebrew, and that would have been the high language of the Jewish people. He could have spoke Latin. That would have been the high language of the Roman people. He could have spoke Greek, which was the, kind of the educated language at that time. What did Jesus speak? Aramaic, the low street language of the people. Jesus wasn't afraid to go out and talk to people in their own language. Jesus wasn't afraid to go out and say, you know what, we need to go out to you and find people where they are. We as Christian churches need to take this example from Jesus that we need to understand that people need to hear about Jesus and they're not always just going to come running up to our church. In fact, 95% of people that become Christians come because somebody took a personal interest in them and invited them to church. Yet what do we do as churches? A lot of times we spend, the, we spend our time on the 5%. Well, we're going to have this big event. We're going to put thousands of dollars in. We're going to have this really good speaker and a cool band. Okay, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But how about we go out and we invite our friends to church? How about if we go out and care for people? How about if we go and, and look to that person who's hurting? I bet you Levi was one of the loneliest people. Can you imagine sitting in a tax booth having everybody hate you? I mean, there's some people who think everybody hates them. Levi was right. Everybody did. I mean, he was in that position. I've heard this now with the recent school shootings that we've had. Some people have said the biggest tool that we've had, I talk to teachers and others, is that we need our kids and our youth to reach out to kids that are left out. Just say hi to them. You may shock them. Okay, let them know that you care about them. Let the world know that Jesus loves them. Because there's a lot of people out there that are tax collectors and sinners that the world has written off. And Jesus is calling us to this. And you know what the Pharisees, let me tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. Their whole driving motivation in life was that we need to be as, as Jewish as possible. We need to be holy like God. And that means we have to make everything pure in our lives and not let anybody come anywhere near us. They had it down they had, mag- they had agricultural rules and specified not only what might be eaten, but out of which vessel one might eat and with whom one might eat. They had all kinds of rules. They shunned anybody. They shunned anybody that didn't follow every single rule they did. In other words, they said, you know what, I'm a Christian. I can't be around you because you might swear. Guess what? People in the world swear. Did I shock anybody here? Okay, I'm just checking. Okay. You know, people, and I would say this, but sinners, by definition, sin. And it's, sometimes as we as Christians are shocked by that. Did you hear what happened? That sinner actually sinned. Mm. Yeah. And cars drive and water's wet. You know, things, things go. But they were so, they, used, they were so into everything 
that they wanted to push every sinner away. And you know what they wanted the sinners to do? Once you get yourself in order, then you come. Once you get yourself perfect, once you become kind of like us, then you're allowed to be around us. And Jesus is saying, first of all, how on earth are they supposed to do that? One of the things that's always bothered me when I've worked in ministry is sometimes we've, we have, we'll have a kid come into church or maybe an adult, and somebody will say, did you see that person? You know, they should know better than to act like that in church. My first response is, how should they know better? Who would have told them? Did they have a mom who told them, a dad who told them, a brother who told them? They came to church. I remember we had one thing where somebody wore a hat to church. I know, I know. Wow. But, but it was a big deal. And it was an insult. And some people say, say, that's insulting to wear a hat inside as a man. I get that. But they said that person should know better. How? If we don't want them to wear a hat, let's go up and be a friend of them and eventually they'll figure out that they don't wear hats here and they'll stop wearing a hat instead of going up and condemning them and not talking to them. If that's so important, don't condemn them, love them. Find out what's going on. If people come into our church, we need to act like Jesus and make sure that we're not hypercritical but that we're sensitive to where people are. Jesus did not cast out the sinner he said that they need a physician. He says, he uses the term here. He says, first of all, don't you understand that I'm a physician? And those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Has anybody ever thought to yourself, I need a good three-day stay in the clinic or in the hospital. I'm feeling great. I just need to get to the clinic or the hospital. I need to stay there for three days. And in fact, bill me directly. I, I, just, I just enjoy it so much. I want to go to the hospital. Or, you know what? I don't need anything. In fact, with the needle, don't put anything in the shot. Just jab me four or five times in the arm. Anybody ever thought about that? Anybody have any thoughts? No. When you're sick, you need a physician. And Jesus uses that term in your head. He says, these people are ill. And what are you doing? You're telling them, go away. We have the truth, but we don't want to give it to you. We have medicine for you that will save your soul, that will redeem you. The reason that sinners can't stop sinning is because they don't have Christ in them. And when they have Christ in them, they have a chance. And so we have to act as physicians. And Jesus says, I need to be a physician for them. And it's interesting, he says, I came not for those who have no need, but for those who need a physician. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's kind of ironic about this was there's nobody righteous. Jesus says this right here. He goes, I came not to call the righteous. <laughs> I can see Jesus. I think Jesus in his head kind of went, yeah, and you're not it. All right? Because they thought we're righteous. And Jesus is like, righteous. Yeah, you guys think you're righteous. Because the whole Bible is going to say, there's not anybody righteous. He says, I came to call all of you. I came because you all needed me. We need to understand that the church needs to be a place for sinners. The church needs to be a place where people are not ranked. Where people where we don't condone sin, but we don't ask people to be perfect before they come. 
There's an old ditty that was written, and I, I don't even want to, I want to say it because it's sad, but it also, this was, it's called, We Are God's Chosen Few. All others will be damned. There's room enough in hell for you. We can't have heaven crammed. That's a sad attitude. But there are people who believe, do I really want to be in heaven with that person? You know what? I want to be in heaven with everybody. I want to be in heaven with the world's worst people that are saved by grace. I want to see them saved. I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what God did, to, did for them. John Wesley put, put it this way. He was thrown out of his church because he tried to preach to people that weren't right. Uh, he did field preaching. And when he would do this, he would talk to dis, the disenfranchised whom the decent people, he put it in quotes, had written off as incapable of moral transformation or spiritual experience. In other words, there were people that were in his time, John Wesley said, people said, well, you can't save that pe- those people. They're incapable of it. Really? Incapable? Um, on your own? I'm so glad. Please come back to this term. You've never saved anybody. You can't save anybody. Everybody accept that? God can save anybody. But yeah, you're incapable. If you look at somebody and say, I can't save that person, thank God God can because I've got no shot. I think it's important that we understand this. Priority two is he wants to bring a new way. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, starting with verse 18. And people, see the Pharisees keep following him around here. All they want to do is trick him. And people came to him and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. For the, day, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth from an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, the worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so the skins, but the new wine is for the fresh wineskins. So here's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about fasting. And he's going to say, and he's going to be challenged, why don't your people fast? Now Jesus could have said, find me the Old Testament scripture that says my people are supposed to fast. Because in the Old Testament, there's only one. It's very rare that people are told to fast. It's a very rare occurrence. But what the Pharisees had done is they said, we fast two times a week. Look at us. We're amazing. In fact, there's going to be a verse later where it's going to talk about the Pharisee crying out and say, look at me, I fast two times a week, Lord, I'm so wonderful. And the Pharisees, in fact, the reason that they fasted was they were afraid of demons. They thought if they fasted enough that demons wouldn't get into them. What did Jesus do about the demons earlier? He said, shut up and get out. Okay, he disproved that. Um, they tried to impress God in some way. They thought if we just fasted long enough that God would be impressed. Jesus already showed them, I love everybody. Um, they, were do- they, did themse- they tried to humiliate themselves before God to say, look how humble I am. And you know the whole thing is? Look how humble I am. Everybody, look how humble I am. What does that become? Pride. And so this whole issue, what they were trying to bring up is, 
Look at us, we fast twice a week, and you don't. And Jesus says, first of all, your system is wrong. And I'm not going to add my system. I'm coming to bring a whole new way. And Jesus' example to them, as he looks at them, he says, first of all, why would you fast? And why would you do all these depressing things that you want to do when Jesus is in front of you? Why do you want to make everything hard? Why do you want to make it so it's depressing and, and, and hurts? They're one of those people that the Pharisees wanted to make it painful for people to be a Christian or for a Jew. They wanted it to really hurt. We know we're doing well because it's so painful. We know we're Christians because we never smile. And we're miserable all the time, which means Jesus loves us. Hey, there are Christians like that. There are Christians. I've met them. I've had them as teachers. They're just so adamant about, oh, if you have fun, it can't be of God. You know what? God invented joy. God invented fun. The devil has messed with it. It's all God's. The, look up the word joy in the Bible, how many times it appears. That's what God wants in your life. He's in, are there times to fast? Yes, there'll be times to fast. He says later, but you know, right now, it's time to have joy with him. Then the other thing he says is, why would you take, now this doesn't make much sense to us, but at this time, they used wineskins, and when one would burst, you couldn't put a patch on it because the wineskin had already shrunk to a point, and if you put a new wineskin on it or a new patch on it, that would shrink and tear it. And he's saying is, what he's saying, a radical thing is, I've come to show you a totally different way than you've been practicing. He says, I am coming to show you what the Old Testament really meant. I'm coming to show you that all these rules that you made up, the fact that you tithe what's in your pocket, how many seeds might be in your pocket, the fact that you have all these rules, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I have a better way for you. Don't exclude the sinner. We're looking for a new way. The last thing, the priority that Jesus talks about is people over ritual. And there's going to be two stories, and I'll read them together, starting with verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Now we have two examples here about the Sabbath. Now let me tell you something. There are still some people that want to argue this issue hard. Okay? There are still some people that want to go all over the place on the Sabbath. But Jesus really wants to nail it down to this. You know what? 
The Sabbath is for people. It's not about the rituals behind the Sabbath. It's not about the rituals that you do in church. It's not about the fact that you genuflect at the right time. It's not about the fact that you take the communion. It's not about the fact that you attend church three out of four times. And if you do three out of another time, you know, if you come a Wednesday night anymore, you get extra credit for that. Okay? It's not the ritual. It is the fact that it is of God. The Pharisees see the disciples plucking grain through a field, which is fascinating because the Old Testament says it's okay to pluck grain in a field if you're passing it, and it does not call it work. It is, in the Old Testament, it is wrong to work on the Sabbath. You could not bring out your harvester on the Sabbath and run your harvester through, but plucking grain in in the fields was not it. And they had created, so the Pharisees created a rule. They said, we're going to be so close to God, we're going to create rules that do everything. Now, we just, bought a, we just bought a stove. Our old stove decided to go into 600 degrees at any moment and fry everything in sight. It was very exciting for a few days that we had it. But we, this was, we went out and got a new stove. And we found out something that I did not know. You can buy a stove with a Sabbath mode on it. Is anybody aware of that? I did not. I was looking through my instruction manual. I, I do read it. Uh, it doesn't mean I know it, do everything in it. But there's a Sabbath mode built into it. You push a button on, sat, on Friday night, and the, the uh, stove goes into a certain mode, and it stays at a, at a certain temperature because according to official rules, if it goes up or down, you're actually doing work. But if you keep the thing at the same temperature during the day, then you are following the Sabbath rules. So it could, I think it's like 250 or 3. It's, it's, I, didn't, I didn't investigate it completely. But I wasn't aware of this. But there's all kinds of rules that were created about the Sabbath. They created such strict rules about what you could do and what you could do. You could tie a knot as long as it could be untied with one hand. There were rules like that. And you wanted to say, where is that in the Bible? And how is that helpful? But what Jesus is trying to say to them is in the Old Testament, David, you guys like David, right? I like how Jesus says, you guys like David. Remember David? David went into the temple and ate the showbread. And the showbread was only for the priests to be used at a certain time. So Jesus says, David did it. And what did the Old Testament say about it? That he was fine. That he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. That the rules are not made to restrict you. The rules were made to bless you. The reason that God asks us to take a Sabbath, asks us to take a break out of the week, is because we're not supposed to work seven days a week. It's not for the sake of us creating rituals. I've heard stories about people, they said, and there are all kinds of stories in the books I was reading this week, and I don't have time to share them all, but about little kids who dreaded Sunday, when Christians have put their Sabbath rituals on, they said that was the day that no fun was allowed because God would not want us to have fun on the Sabbath. So going outside and playing football with one another, God is frowning. Look, they're sweating. They're having fun. I hear laughter. Thus I must strike them. I mean, that's, that's what the rules were. They had created such rules that they were, but instead, what did Jesus say? Take a day off work. You work too hard. You t- you're obsessed. And, it, and Jesus, I know he knew that the cell phones were coming. Because you can't get away. One of the greatest 
oh, sometimes I think back with just wonderful things. When I first started pastoring, we, we, had, a, uh, we had phones at the office, and that was it. It was wonderful. And if you wanted to get away, you would just drive to another town on your day off, and nobody could find you. Okay? And it was accepted. It wasn't like everybody was like, well, why did the pastor leave? My pastor, when I did my internship, said just drive to the next town, hang out there for the day, okay? And then come back the next day and handle everything that happened. And then we got pagers, which meant we were kind of available, but then the cell phone came. And now we're available all the time. And of course, it saves us so much, but it's not a bad thing in itself, but there are times when you need to put the cell phone away. There are times you need to put the laptop down. There's a time that work is just going to have to handle itself. And Jesus is saying, that's what the Sabbath was created for. It wasn't created for a bunch of rules, and so you could sit in a really uncomfortable outfit that you had to put on that day and sit there and stare at the wall. I mean, there are stories, especially from and the fact that we can't have any, any good times. Kids were not allowed to play. Kids were not allowed to do anything fun. We're not allowed to have any hot food that day. We have to have cold, uh, you know, food that doesn't taste good. Oh, but we love Jesus more when we suffer. Go back to the bridegroom. He says, I want you to have joy. Okay? And so he says this to them. I am the Lord over the Sabbath, he says. If David can say the, sa- the showbread can be used, David was saying there are rules, but these guys are starving a starving person is more important than your rule. But in the Jewish mindset at this time, if somebody was starving, a lot of Pharisees would let them starve to death on the Sabbath. Because, well, we can't break our rules. They're starving. Doesn't matter. We're close to God. Hallelujah. We're close to God. That person's starving and hurting. We don't, tomorrow we'll help them. It gets worse in the next story. Jesus entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus at the Pharisees to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. What if he actually makes somebody happy on the Sabbath? Oh, that would just boil me. The mentality in your head, you're like, what? Do you know why you could not heal on the Sabbath? There was actual rule that they had written. What if you healed somebody on the Sabbath And then they got so excited that they lifted something. I know. Controversy. Church splits over the whole thing. Hey, if my arm just got put back, I'd be lifting something. Woohoo! Check it out. And if you had a withered hand and you could use it for the first time, but that was their concern. He's going to break the Sabbath. He's going to do something that's going to hurt our rules. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? So he says, all he says to the man is come here. It's okay to walk on the Sabbath. Okay. He said for the, wither, the guy with the withered hand to come here. And he looked at them. Is it okay? Do you want to harm or to kill? What's the good thing to do on the Sabbath? And they were silent. And he looked at them with anger. What, and why was Jesus upset with them? And he grieved at the hardness of their heart. He was angry with them because they wouldn't say God wants to do good things for the world. Go back to point number one. God cares for people. God wants the Sabbath 
wants you to take a day off from your work. Why? Because he cares about you. Not because he wants to make you miserable. God wants to do good things in your life. If you have an opportunity to help somebody, do it. And he's angered because the hardness of their heart. And we talked about this before. In the Jewish mindset, the heart is like what we would talk about with the brain. Remember the kidneys are where the, the emotions are? The heart is where you think. Okay, so you have to kind of use a Jewish mindset here. So he's saying he was upset with what they were thinking. And in their head, their rules had created a system that they'd rather see a man suffer another day in, as a handicapped man than see this, their Sabbath rules broken. He said, what, he just said in his head, what is wrong with you? So he said, stretch forth your hand. And when he did that, he stretched out and his hand was restored. Now, we don't hear what happened. Like I said, I'm pretty sure the guy moved that arm and might have actually broke his sweat because, like, again, it's just new. If you see that, and maybe somebody there jumped up and down and said, this is awesome. I would have. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that? No. Okay? And, and, but all those things is what they were avoiding. Oh, now people are getting excited and smiling on the Sabbath. But you know what's even worse about this whole thing? Is that the religious people are making their rules. They make their rules and they say, because we follow these religious rules, this is what makes us right. Because we follow these religious rules, this is what makes us wonderful. This is what make God, makes God love us. And Jesus is saying what makes God love you, first of all, is nothing because he loves you no matter what. But what pleases him is when you look out for other people. But here's the Pharisees. Now, if, I missed this the first few times I've read this. Look at verse 6 about the Pharisees. They're like, no one should do any work on the Sabbath. No one. Never. You should never help anybody on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, what about harm or kill to do good? What do the Pharisees do in verse 6? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel. They had a meeting on the Sabbath with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They worked on the Sabbath to kill Jesus. So in other words, the hypercritical people, the people that we've got it all right, we love, we love God more than anybody, it's Sabbath, you can't do anything except try to kill somebody. So when Jesus says, when he says to harm or kill, he's actually literally saying, you will take this opportunity to try to kill me. And he did that. They looked at this opportunity. And so we as Christians have sometimes been accused of being hypocritical. Because we'll say to people, you know, look at us, we don't have any sin, or we, we have these issues, or you have these issues, or whatever. But then we go and do something even worse. Because we're so critical of other people. Instead of saying, you know what? We love Jesus, you love Jesus, we're not doing everything correctly, but we're on our path to loving Jesus and becoming closer to him every day. We, we love you and care for you and we want to do what's best for you. And we're not going to do what harms you. But so many times in the church, we're like the Pharisees who actually end up doing things that harm people with our rules. Because when we put up a barrier at the door that says, unless you're a certain person, unless you're a certain color, unless you dress a certain way, unless you will take off your hat, unless you'll do this, unless you'll do this, unless you'll stop this, you're not allowed in this church. You're not allowed in the kingdom of God. 
We're just as bad as the Pharisees who don't want to see somebody saved on the, or healed on the Sabbath. We're just as bad as those who say, how dare Jesus try to reach out to people that are unlovable. And God is calling us to put our priorities in line with Jesus. People his way and people over rituals more than anything. Why don't you stand with me today? For prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, Jesus Christ is here today. And he is here for everybody who is here. He is here for the worst person you can think of. He is here for the best person you can think of. He is here and he wants to offer forgiveness because there is no one righteous. There is no one who is not in need of forgiveness of their sins. Everybody here feels guilt over something. Everybody here has sinned. Everybody has let down God. But you know what God wants to do? Not for you to feel bad. He wants you to come up and be forgiven. He wants you to come. He wanted Levi not to live in his sin anymore. He wanted him to know what it's like to have forgiveness, to know what it's like to be accepted by God, to know what it's like to have a different path, to change his ways, to turn around, do a complete repentance, and go God's way. That's what he wanted. So if you're here today and you need to make that commitment, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But for the rest of us, let's have the priorities of Christ. Jesus loves sinful people. Jesus has a new way. And Jesus wants us to not be so worried about our rituals, but about loving people and caring about them. What can we do as a church? What can we do this week? How can we reach out to maybe somebody at our work that nobody likes? And you know what? Sometimes for good reason. I just want to make that clear. I'm not asking you to love people and say, well, that person's just getting a bad break. There are some people that are just jerks. I'm going to call it out. It's, It's a fact. This tax collector probably wasn't even a nice guy. We don't hear much about his story, but most tax collectors, if you went into this field, it was not where the nice guys go. Okay? But Jesus said, I don't care. I'm going to go sit by the person who annoys everybody and actually try to love them. Actually show them that God loves them. Show them the grace of God. Show them that as a Christian, I can love them. And God's got a better way for them because there's no way they don't know any better without God. They don't know any better without God. And the only answer is contained in the hope of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today, God, first of all. We just need to look at ourselves and say, we thank you that you found us. God, we were unworthy of salvation. There's not one person here that was worthy of you, God. Many of us have stories, God, if we all would share where we were before you, God. No matter where we were, whether we were the worst sinner or just we call maybe a mind, whatever is sin, God. We were all sinners. We were all saved by grace. And Lord, let us now not let any ritual, not let our attitudes, not let anything get in the way of us reaching out to people that are hurting, God. Reaching out to sinful people, God, because somebody reached out to us at one time. Somebody reached out to our family. God, use somebody else. Now use us to see somebody else come to know Jesus. We ask that you give us opportunities this week, God,
knowing that we are followers of Christ, so we will do what Christ called us to do. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are prayer ministers available for you. Otherwise, you are dismissed.